It's time to talk about Pixie's Doolittle. Things are gonna change, I feel it. It's just gonna be that kind of fight, Emma. know it. Welcome back to Waterproof Records with Jacob Givens. I'm here. I'm doing it. Doing it again. Here we go. One more time. No, many more times. This show just will keep going forever. As long as music is being made, I will make this show. If I run out of all the bands that I grew up with, then I'll just turn to bands that my parents grew up with and my grandparents and then what you're growing up with now. It's just never going to (laughs) end. So get used to it can come hang out. But I have been thinking lately, um, it'll be so cool when I can start bringing in more guests and talking to people who make music, work in music, you know, people you've heard of, people you haven't heard of. I know that's going to be a lot of fun once I get to that point. So it's just going to grow and grow and grow, I think. And then eventually the dream will come true and I will have a record store called Waterproof Records where you can come in, drink some of my homemade mead. Yeah, I make mead. Have I talked about that on the show yet? I don't know. I think I did. I think I did a little bit, right? Right? If you didn't know, I make my own mead. And that's like a new thing that I just started doing kind of at the start of this year, 2021. Um, It's very cool. It's very fun. I like making it. It's nice and simple and straightforward. Um, If you don't know what mead is, it's basically made from honey. And so I had always wanted to make beer. I'd always wanted to brew my own beer. But I've known many people in my adult life that are beer brewers, and from what I gathered, I may be wrong, but there was some equipment to invest in, and there was a kind of a learning curve, and if you blew it, if you messed up your batch, you'd just have to dump all your beer, and things could go wrong really easily, and it was just, you know, the whole process, it sounded like, until I have a lot of free time, my kids are grown up, I don't know if I can do it, but mead is nice and straightforward and simple. It's a 30,000-year-old beverage. That's amazing, right? It predates beer and wine. And so it's just basically honey, yeast, and water. And you just got to be patient. So I figured out how to do that, and I've made a bunch of batches already, and I've shared them with friends, and so far, so good. None of them have been bad. Well, in my opinion. I mean, some I think are stronger or more, like, difficult, like, very unique tasting, but some have turned out like incredibly. So I'm hoping I can get to a point where I can uh, make and sell my own mead in my record store. Wouldn't that be cool? Waterproof records, homemade mead. Anyway, I started us off on the Pixies Doolittle episode just talking about drinking mead, and we should just be talking about music, right, guys? Also, um, I've been trying to get things right. The last episode, um, I think my camera was out of focus the whole time. So bear with me as I work out the kinks and we get kinky, Um, less kinky, more kinky, all the kinks, Um, not the band, the kinks, Pixies. Okay. If you know about Pixies, they're a huge iconic band and more than anything, they're, they're really at the forefront, the beginning of that specific alternative music kind of coming to an end in the 1980s and going into the 1990s. And then they break up and they influence everybody's music. I mean, the Pixies influenced everybody, you know, it was huge. And it's funny because you will get in trouble for saying the Pixies. I got in trouble. 
And I, I mean, I've been a fan of this band since I was like 12 years old and I still mess it up because it's just really easy to refer to some, refer to the band and say the Pixies. It just flows, right? But it's Pixies. Technically, it's Pixies. You know, on my Nirvana reaction video, I was referencing the Pixies and I said the Pixies and somebody got really mad and they said, you're a fake fan. Ugh, people, you guys. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm telling you right now, 99% of the comments I get on, on my videos are amazing, but I got to tell you, it takes every fiber of my being sometimes to not react and get so frustrated at the negative comments or like somebody being a total music elitist. It drives me crazy. If you notice that I don't really engage with them, that's because I, uh, with every fiber of my being power I have, I resist the urge to engage with trolls and music elitists and people who are telling me I don't know anything about music or anyway, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Maybe I'm kind of venting a little bit with you guys. It's really not that bad. I'm telling you, I have cultivated the most positive, amazing music lovers. And that's what I like to say. I I actually said this to a guy the other day. I said, I'm a music fan, not a music snob. You know what I mean? Like I'm a music lover. That's my thing. I don't pride myself on being like, well, this is better than this. And the seven inch single that came out in 1992 is clearly their best work. I just, that's just not me. Sure. There's bands I don't like, but eh, why spend too much time or energy on talking about something you don't like? Why not spend all your time and energy on talking about things that you love? And that's what I'm doing. And you know what? There might be something that during this process, somebody shows me a band or a song and I don't quite get it. I mean, remember on the singles episode, the, the how I talked about Paul Westerberg. That was perfect example. Sorry, that was a perfect example of an artist and song that at that age I wasn't ready for. But now I am. Now I'm ready for it. And it, uh, oftentimes I get a question about how do I feel about um, you know '90s hip hop and rap. And I gotta say that question I get asked all the time. But I my challenge is this. I didn't listen to it growing up, and that had a lot to do with my environment. You really are thrown different types of artists and songs because of where you grew up and the people that you surround yourself with. And so for me personally, I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And in Tulsa, Oklahoma, let's just put it this way, I was extroverted I was theatrical, I got into musicals, I was in theater, I was in drama, I was an artist, I was, I had a lot of expressions. And in the 90s, in that part of the country, kids don't know what to do with that. And and words were thrown around, and I didn't feel very safe amongst a lot of the quote-unquote popular kids, I guess you could say. And so I gravitated towards other artists other weirdos, other people who liked the kind of music I did. And then once I found my theater community, I was set till I graduated. But because of that, a lot of the kids, a lot of the boys my age that may have been like macho or tough or playing sports or very aggressive would have been more linked to some of the hip hop and rap music, right? So when I'm young, I'm kind of like, that puts a bad taste in my mouth because I'm thinking to myself, this represents the people that are jerks, 
in my town, in my culture, in my environment. And so I, it wasn't given a fair shake. So I gravitated towards, you know, alternative rock, metal, all that kind of music grunge, because it really was what I needed to get through adolescence, right? You need your music and your bands to get through your adolescence. But as I've gotten older, oh, wow, so many artists that I've heard, the lyrical genius, the just the structure of the song, just how creative... And I'm learning so much more. And I hope that maybe you can teach me and others can teach me what I missed out on, what artists I need to know. But for now, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm well-versed on my alternative rock, on my metal, on my hard rock. Um, but I don't know much about other things. Anyway, wow, guys, this is what you're going to expect, though. This is supposed to be about the Pixies. And I've already talked about haters online and how I don't know much about 90s hip-hop. But hey, that's what you can expect on the show. So let's get into Pixies. Um, Pixies Doolittle is their second studio album. Um, they had, so when they first started, they started in 1986 in Boston and it's, um, Frank Black, Black Francis was the nickname. His real name is Charles Thompson III, but he started going, you know, Charles and then it became, um, Black Francis, Frank Black. That's been his name in, in music forever. Um, interchangeably, you know, you see Black Francis, Frank Black, um, but anyway, him, he's the front man, lead singer, guitarist. And then you have Kim Deal on bass. And then you have Joey Santiago um, on, the, uh, on the guitar. And then, of course, uh, I'm, why am I drawing a blank on the... <laughs> this is terrible. I'm drawing a blank. His name is the drummer. Um, I got to get it, you guys. Let me get the line up here. Mr. David Lovering. I knew that. I knew that. It escaped my brain for a second. David Lovering. Um, that's the Pixies. That's Pixies. That's Pixies. The Pixies. 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 <laughs> Gosh, it's so easy to say the in front of it. Um, so they started in 86, and then their first uh, you know, album that they put out, which was Come On Pilgrim. But that, again, C- Come On Pilgrim was like a smaller, wasn't really on a major label. And I'm not, I'm not mistaken, the problem with both Come On Pilgrim and their first studio album is they got re- released internationally um, before they were released stateside. So it was like overseas, they were getting a glimpse of the Pixies before the U.S. was. You know, here's this U.S.-based band, and overseas, they're they're getting recognition. The song's getting out there. The only way you could get their first studio album at first, Surfer Rosa, was you had to get, like, an import. And if you remember, if you're my age, you remember, like, buying import CDs. You had to get to, you know, a, a record store that was getting those import CDs. You couldn't go to Sam Goody or Tower Records, for the most part, and find a lot of, like, really unique you know, uh, uh, some of those, those big, well, tower records, probably in Hollywood, you could, but you know, these big music chain stores, you weren't going to go into, um, a, a Best Buy or something like that and, and, and get these great import CDs. You had to go to a record store, get somebody who had the imports. So it was harder to get a hold of it. But by the time we get to Doolittle, Doolittle is finally released internationally and domestically at the same time. So in a lot of ways, this was like how they broke onto the scene, in the, in the biggest way, and this album, I think you would look at and say, if you've never started on the Pixies, in my personal opinion, this is where you start. You start here. Then you, for me, I started here. Then I went back to Surfer Rosa, got Come On Pilgrim. And some of my favorite songs are on the previous albums. It's just, this is such a good, accessible way to, to learn about their music. It's still all over the place. It's still very chaotic. I'll never forget my first time really experiencing Pixies was not when the album came out. 
you'll notice on my reaction video about the song Monkey Gone, Gone to Heaven, I wasn't saying that was in, you know, 1988 or whatever when the song, when the album came out. It was uh, 1989. Um, it was, you know, in the 90s um, because Pixies was one of those bands that like your older cousin or your parents' friend leaves you over and you're with the, you know, you're hanging out with this kid who's four or five years older than you are. And they're listening to Jane's Addiction and Pixies and you're like, what's this, you know? And so you were introduced to it like that. But I remember my brother had gotten a cassette copy of Pixies Doolittle for Christmas. And, you know, my brother and I, we share almost exactly the same music taste. Little differing. Every now and then he does his own thing and I do my own thing. But for the most part, almost the same. And my brother Joel, he got it for Christmas morning. And I, I think I'd heard some songs. We had, he and I had found a college radio station in Oklahoma. It was Roger State College. And um, he and I had found a way to start taping the radio show onto these little cassette tapes. And that's where we were hearing all sorts of crazy shit, like Dead Kennedys and uh, Dead Milkmen. And we were, we, we were learning. That's where we were learning about The Cure and a lot of that uh, that era of music, you know, Morrissey and the Smiths and um, all sorts of stuff. Pixies, Jane's Addiction was in there. We were learning about this music, you know, and, and on this college radio station. We were pretty young kids. But he got Pixies, and it's Christmas morning, and he we go out, and he has this, this old Camaro he had. And we went in. He didn't have it very long because my brother's a terrible driver. He, he won't argue with that. I mean, maybe he's gotten better now. No, you haven't gotten any better, have you? Um, he was a terrible driver. He wasn't able to keep this car very long without messing it up, wrecking it, and then having to get something that that could actually take his terrible driving. Um, but we got up Christmas morning. We went in, and we put in the cassette tape, and we sat in his car, and it was cold. And I remember sitting there and listening. And your first experience in listening to Pixies is that it's loud, quiet, loud. That is, that is, there is a documentary that was made called, you know, Loud, Quiet, Loud. And that really is the perfect way to describe it. It's jarring. It's erratic. It's, it's melodious. It's soft. It, it takes you somewhere in, in all sorts of different directions. And in a lot of ways, as I was hearing it, I felt underprepared for it. If that makes any sense. I, I wasn't ready for it, but I liked it. I liked it. I didn't know why I liked it because let me tell you something. That album is full of surrealist lyrics. Uh, you know, Frank Black was really into surrealism, and I didn't even know until years later. There were things that were being sung that I had no idea what he was saying or talking about, but it was like, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to really uh, climb at an analogy here. It's like being brought into a art gallery as a young kid, and you're surrounded by beautiful works of art. And you find pieces or you look at something and you're captivated it by it. And you and, and the, the people around you will say you should be captivated by it because of this brush stroke style, or this was really groundbreaking art for the time, or this the use of color or perspective. And they would explain it to you. But you'd be like, I don't know why, but I'm drawn to it and I can't put my finger on why. I just, I feel it. I sense it. That's kind of what it felt like. 
You know, it felt like it, somebody could explain in a diagram why I, I, I liked it, but I would be like, I don't know. He's screaming one minute, then the next minute he, it's singing very nice and pretty. And that bass is really kind of plucking through the air at me. You know, there's just something about it. Anyway, that's my best way I can put it, I guess. Um, not very eloquently, Jacob, but you know, you're trying. Um, anyway, so Pixies opens up with the baser. And Debaser is it's it's got such a upbeat, jolly little melody, and he comes in with that screeching, oh, you know, it is just like man. I wish on podcasts we could just listen to the song together and then talk about it afterwards, but that's not how podcasts work. I'd get flagged every single time, but I wish you know I have it right here in front of me. I could just play it, you know. It start starts out with this nice little jolly guitar up top, but a lot of the lyrics of Debaser are related to a um, a surrealist film. Um, he had seen at the time. He had seen a, uh, a surrealist movie. I have it right here because I didn't know this for the longest time. But Frank Black was going through a lot of uh, surreal movies and cinema. That was something he was drawn to. So there was this film that he watched called Unchain Andalou. And that's what he sang in the chorus. Unchain Andalusia. That's like a reference to that film. I really, all those years that I listened to it as a kid, I was just it just sounded like gibberish. And I didn't know this, by the way, but he had almost gone with the words in that part right there in an early version of it. It almost said shed Apollonia in reference to purple rain. How about that? Huh? He almost had it be um, a reference to purple rain, but got more caught up in this surrealist. And that's why he's got the lines about cut slicing up eyeballs and all that stuff. It's from the surrealist film. So that's where we begin with the baser, but then we get to tame. And again, it's that screaming, voice that he had that really took me by surprise, but I was mesmerized by it. I almost said memorized by it. Mesmerized. Um, Really, really incredible. And this is like one of those albums that I feel like you could easily sit down with somebody and you could start hitting play and, and going through it. And they might get to songs like Tame and just be like, what the hell am I listening to? You know? Because if you look at it from a bird's eye point of view, you're like, a lot of this shouldn't make sense, but it does. It does. It it, it resonates and it hits me to the core. Um, because that that scream that he has is uh, it's not. It's unlike most screams. Because I'm really into metal music, of course, and you've got everything from the you know the um, black metal screeching to those guttural deep growls to hardcore screams. You have very you know, uh, different types of screaming voices that you get used to. But I got to say, Frank Black's is uniquely his. That's for sure. Um, Then we get to Wave of Mutilation. And, you know, this is a fun, upbeat song. But you want to know what? I didn't know what it was about until just recently. He had been reading about this idea of, um, you know, being like a Japanese businessman who had failed at business. And his, his career was over and he's in a car and he just has his family in the car and he drives off the pier into the ocean and kills them all. And that's the wave of mutilation. So just thinking of this kind of like, uh, this overwhelmed sorrow and feeling of like, nothing's worth living for anymore. And just driving your car into the ocean kind of crazy. Right. And yet it's such a, a, a like a uplifting feel good song and the energy behind it. But the thing about wave of mutilation is my favorite version of the song is is called Wave of Mutilation UK Surf. And the first time, actually, 
This might be the first time I heard Pixies, okay? Was Pump Up the Volume, the movie with Christian Slater. I'm pretty sure um, that the first time I saw that film, there's a very, you know, a, a kind of a quiet moment in the film where they play Pixies' Wave of Mutilation, UK Surf. And the thing about that version of the song is it's very slowed down. It's acoustic. The pacing of it is just really slow. And then there's this, this clean guitar picking, like surf guitar, but it's very echoey. And it's very daydreamy. You know, it really lulls you. And it's just this beautiful moment in the film. And I, I remember just being drawn to it. And I learned that it was called Wave of Mutilation. And I remember when we got to the album, I was like, oh, here comes Wave of Mutilation. And then comes this, you know, this really upbeat song. I was like, wait a second. That's not the one from the film. But um, love the UK surfer version. So I sought it out and I bought it on the, um, the Here Comes Your Man record single. You could get the UK surf on vinyl. And I still have it. And I love it so much. I'm so proud of it. It's pretty beat up. Not the record. The case is pretty beat up because it's been with me since the 90s and it's traveled many estates, many a places, college, life, been through hell and back. But um, anyway, I love that song. I Bleed, another great one that starts out with that, that iconic bass, you know, coming from Kim Deal. Um, a cool story about Kim Deal, uh, you know, Kim and Kelly Deal, Kim and her sister Kelly Deal started the band The Breeders. And The Breeders are great. I have gone back and listened to um, Last Splash. That album holds up. It is great. And they've also got The Pod, um, which is also Steve Albini produced, I'm pretty sure. Steve Albini, famous record producer, produced In Utero, lots of other albums. He produced their first album, uh, Server Rosa. But on, on this one, on Doolittle, it was Gil Norton, something like that. I'm probably messing that up. An English chap. Anyway. We're on to I Bleed, that iconic bass. And I was going to tell a story about Kim Deal. So my wife in the early 2000s, she was uh, an actress. Uh, she is an actress, but she got a chance to work. We were young in our 20s. We didn't have kids yet. And she was working on the TV show American Dreams. And American Dreams was on NBC, and it was about American Bandstand, and it was throwing back to the 60s. And she was an extra, but her extra involvement on the show, she was in the bleachers for the American bandstand sequences. And she worked on it so frequently that she became one of the regulars. One of the bandstand dancers was on every time they shot that thing, got to know some of the cast members, got a line on the show was featured. So she got at least involved enough in that, that season that you saw her all the time on the show. Anyway, that one of the things they used to do on that TV show was bring in artists like popular artists and have them play the band during American bandstand. And one day she's there and she, she calls me and she tells me and she's like, Jacob, the, the breeders are the guest band. And I was losing my mind. Cause I was like, I cannot believe that you're going to hang out with, um, with Kim deal today. And so she got a chance really to hang out with Kelly deal. So Kelly and, and my wife were Jamie were just kind of like pals in around the whole day. And I still have on a, a sheet of paper from Kelly. It says, Jacob, why aren't you here? Kelly, Kelly deal. I always thought that was so cool. I've never gotten a chance to meet any of the band of Pixies, but uh, but just that connection to Kelly Deal I thought was pretty awesome. That cherished possession of mine. So, Kelly, if you ever hear this, thank you for that. Thanks for hanging out with my wife all day on set of American Dreams. 
Anyway, um, here comes your man. Here comes your man. You know, as I as you read and learn more about this, these songs, here comes your man. I like that song. And yet it's funny because it turns out that Frank Black wrote it when he was like 15 years old. And he was always kind of ashamed of it because it was poppy. It was catchy. The band referred to it as that Tom Petty sounding song, very accessible. And, um, you know, every time it was, you know, it was kind of on deck for the albums, Come On Pilgrim, Server Rosa. But everybody was like, no, no, it's just trying too hard. It's just poppy and not really what the band is trying to be. But then when they get to recording Doolittle, um, you know, the producer, Norton, at the time, he, he was like, I like that song. And so Frank Black was like, well, you know, throw him a bone, let him have it on the record. So he did. And it made it on there. And I got to tell you, if they still have any kind of like, you know, I don't want to play this song because it's hokey. I don't know. I think you got to get over it. You know what I mean? That's a it's a good song. Yes, it's catchy. Yes, it's poppy. Yes, it's got that feel feel good. But I think at this point, it's a classic. So Pixies, if, you, if you're not playing Here Comes Your Man, you should start playing Here Comes Your Man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> It's coming from Jacob Gibbons. He's telling you right now, you got to do it. So um, anyway, I was trying to find the record producer so I could see Norton. Yeah, there it is. Norton. Gil Norton. I think I said it right. Maybe I said something else. Anyway, Gil Norton was the one who produced this. Um, but anyway, so they finally put it on the album. And that's the thing. During the recording of Doolittle, uh, Gil Norton kept trying to uh, kind of embellish during the post-production and the engineering of the of the record. He kept trying to, you know, layer it up, expand and lengthen some songs. And as the story goes that I read is Frank Black took him to a um, Black Francis, took him to a record store and picked up a, a Buddy Holly uh, record and showed him Buddy Holly songs and how they were just like two minutes long. And he was like, if it's good enough for Buddy Holly, it's good enough for me. So he was like really trying to sell the point. Like we do not have to make these songs super long. If they're short and sweet, let's stick to it. And that really does help with making this record very accessible. This is a great doorway. If you, if you don't know anything about the band, you jump in here. I think that this is a good way to get to know them right out of the, out of the gate. Um, then you've got songs after here comes your man, like dead, totally different, crazy direction which is biblical references. There's some biblical references on this album on dead and gouge away. Um, basically here, I had it right here. I had to learn. I had to look up some of these stuff things guys. Cause I didn't know all this. Um, the, the uh, dead has lyrical elements that are talking about David and Bathsheba. And then on gouge away at the end, that's uh, Samson and Delilah. So, Hey, how about that? Little biblical references. I guess it was because when um, Frank Black was a was a young lad, his family got involved in an evangelical church that was um, that was you know tied to Assemblies of God, and so that really kind of added a little element. Oh, oh yeah, I wanted to mention that part that I learned. Oh, I'm almost there. It's almost next. So I, I didn't want to jump the gun because we aren't dead. But now we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about Monkey Gone to Heaven. Monkey Gone to Heaven is, you know, it's an environmental song. It's really about the environment and kind of humanity wreaking havoc on the planet. You know, you can hear it from the words, you know, got killed by 10,000 pounds of sludge from New York and New Jersey. God, I love this record so much. I love it. I love it. It, it stays with you. Um, but that song's about environmentalism. But I want to talk a little bit about the most recognizable part of that song and why I chose it for my 
first time hearing reaction video. The if the if man is five, then the devil is six, and then again God is seven. That part is that stuck out to me immediately. That has stayed with me since. That screeching, screaming on, and God is seven. I use in my car to this day. I still I just yelp out at that part. It's just such a cool part. But there's a little bit of uh, mythology around it. I've seen several people comment to me, and then I've gone digging online. They claim, and this is what the claim was, that Daniel Johnston was playing a small acoustic show, and uh, Frank Black was in the audience, and then while he was, well, Daniel Johnston was just kind of in the in the ethos and just feeling the feels in his in his mind he started saying things about man is five and the devil is six and that's where frank black got it but i gotta say i don't know i don't buy it because the only places that i see that that said are redditor comments you know like like somebody says it now that could very well be like in a documentary that i've never seen before but in all the press that I read about um, the actual song, again, this was an example of the numerology that uh, he had learned being, you know, in, exposed to bi- biblical stories and going to that evangelical church and really writing from that standpoint. And there's even stories about him waking up Joey Santiago and showing him that song that he had just, you know, come up with, like waking up Joey in the morning and being like, check this out, check this out. And Joey, him, him having the part about if man is five. So I don't know. You can challenge me on that. You can come after me on the social medias and say, no, you're wrong. But I don't know. Unless you're literally somebody who is like related to Frank Black and you know firsthand experience that that's how it went down. I'm beginning to think that's just like an urban legend. You know, Daniel Johnston has all this kind of like all these crazy things about his life because it is so unusual. It is so strange. Um, but I, again, I believe it just came from Mr. Frank Black himself in his own mind. And I think maybe it's coincidental. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, you know, when they made that movie, uh, Loud, Quiet, Loud, what, what I think is so funny about it, that if you haven't seen it yet, it's this great documentary about the Pixies because they are, here they are, they're, each album is coming out and then they break up in 1992 you know, six years after forming and they're, they're not on their way out. They just was too much tension in the band. And so they break up. And so when they got back together in 2003, 2004, they made a documentary called, um, loud, quiet, loud. And it's a really great documentary. The one of, one of the most fascinating scenes, you know, you can see the tension, uh, amongst the bandmates. You can see that it's, it is a, a, a tense environment for them to be in and why, why they would have the splits. Um, but the one scene that I always think about is, is, uh, David Lovering, you know, the drummer, he's trying to be clean and sober. And then he goes on, on tour with the band and there's a scene where they're playing live and he's just playing this end of the song. He's playing like really intense drum part and they're done. They're ready to like go to the next part of the song. And he just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And you kind of go like, Oh no, (laughs) Oh no. The dude's, uh, back on some stuff to help get him through all this. It's, it's pretty heartbreaking. It's pretty, pretty, uh, sad to see how, how grueling it can be on them. Um, but you know, they are a legendary band and everybody was thrilled beyond belief. Um, Pixies are playing now, you know, after that period of time, I think Kim deal finally split, it split out and took out, um, left the band in 2013. And, um, they had now have Paz, Paz Lechanton. I hope I'm not butching her name, but she's playing with the band now. And she has since like 2013, 2014. Um, 
But anyway, so you can see the tension. But what I was going to say is loud, quiet, loud. I'll never forget. I was in high school and I was showing my buddy, Kevin, Kevin Brayman. I was showing him another artist that I liked at the time. And I was saying, check this out. Check this out. You got to listen to this song. You're going to love it. And I'll never forget. I showed it to him. And he was like, of course you like it. It goes loud, quiet, loud, quiet. (laughs) And this is before that documentary was made. You know, this is like in the nineties that he's telling me this. And it was so true. That was such a good summation of the kind of music that I liked. I liked things that were loud and quiet, loud and quiet pumpkins. You know, I love that distorted guitars that then just drops into dreamy, ethereal guitar, soft, quiet, and then gets loud. I mean, that just, that sums up my musical taste my whole life. So I love that story. Still think about that all the time, Kev. Um, anyway, so let's keep trucking along here because we're getting through. We still have a good amount of songs. And I don't really have a lot of um, facts and information on every single song. I have a little bit, but but not enough to get, you know, to go for another half hour talking about these. But Muggy Gone to Heaven. Then Mr. Greaves. Um, I don't know if I know necessarily what in the world Mr. Greaves is about. Um, I know there's one coming up about his roommate. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, it just says more underwater themes in Mr. Greaves. Um, Crackety Jones is the one about his, he had a really crazy roommate during his exchange trip in San Juan, Puerto Rico, uh, Frank Black did. And so that song's about his crazy roommate. So then, um, so yeah, we don't know much about Mr. Greaves. La La Love You. La La Love You is featuring the vocals of, uh, the drummer, David Lovering. He's the one singing there. And at first, uh, you know, he didn't want to do it really, but then they encouraged him. And that's like that song that you hear it. And it's, it does have such a different feel to it. And you can tell somebody else is behind the microphone doing all I'm saying, pretty baby. It's like a guy crooning. Um, then number 13, baby got a tattooed tit. Then number 13, these were so controversial as a young boy, you know, whenever you would hear like a, like a word, not a, not an overt F bomb or, you know, just a flat out swear people saying things like tit in songs. Ooh, so exciting. So exciting. Not to mention, Hey, let's not forget about, and I know this is about Doolittle and not Surfer Rosa, but man, if, uh, there was a thing back then. I've told you my parents were strict about language. If an album cover had boobies on the cover, oh, forget about it. I can't buy that. How am I going to have that in my tape collection, in my CD collection? Uh, not, in, not in my household. So Surfer Rosa, that was you know hidden. I think I had a copy of it. And then uh, Jane's Addiction, uh, nothing shocking. Another one, Ritual de la Habitual, hidden. You know, whenever you put bare breasts on an album cover, it was like I was appreciative. I enjoyed it as a, as a lad, but I had to hide it, you know? So <laughs> that's just how it was. I don't know. I don't know. Parents always being nervous about what their kids are consuming content-wise, I guess. Um then we get down to There Goes My Gun. Um, I don't really have anything in terms of, you know, facts or statistics on this. Oh, Hey, the next song. Uh, I, that's one of my favorite songs. Hey, been trying to meet you. Oh, whores in my head, whores at the door, whores in my bed. What a great song. I could, I could just... I could just say that to myself, walking alone, alone you know, just kind of say those words. And he does the word, chained. <laughs> I'm not able to sing it right now, but it's so great. Um, Silver is Kim 
Deal and Frank Black singing together, and she co-wrote that song, and she's playing the slide guitar, and David Lovering is playing the bass, and uh, yeah, it was really the only one on the record, and that was kind of one of the reasons why there was some tension, is that obviously Kelly, um, I mean, Kim Deal, Kim Deal is obviously a fantastic songwriter, obviously, very talented, does her own thing, and so I think there was a point of tension there in the band, obviously, because she's such a great songwriter and talented. Also, that you know, there wasn't a place in Pixies for her music, at least at the time, not allowed by, by Mr. Frank Black. So it was, you know, you, you eventually have to go out and on your own and do your own thing. And she has, and she's done it great. She's, she's fantastic. But then we get to the end of the record with Gouge Away. And this is, uh, I, I remember Gouge Away. This was one of those ones I told you earlier about my brother and I popping in the cassette tape, taping off that college radio station Gouge Away was on one of those tapes before we owned any of the albums. I remember Gouge Away was on there. And that's, again, more biblical references, more biblical, biblical stuff, lots of biblical stuff um, on the album. And that's, uh, that's a good old Samson and Delilah. So that's pretty much Pixies Doolittle. And, you know, I, I know I have some facts here. Not all the songs I can sit here and tell you backstories and information about. And I guess I should learn my lesson on that. Don't, don't feel the need like you got to do every single one. We can just talk about the, the overview. But um, in my video that I made of the reaction of the Pixies, if you haven't seen it, it was basically me sitting in the car. And I did that on purpose because of how my brother and I listened to the tape the first time. But I, re- I made this little joke. I said... Um, you know, oh, Doolittle, that's the character I played in My Fair Lady. And somebody in the comments was like, Eliza Doolittle? And I'm like, no, if you know the musical, I was the dad. I was Doolittle the father, you know, the one who says, I'm getting married in the morning, get me to the church on time, you know, with a little bit of luck, with a little bit of luck, you know, that was the character I played. So I was Doolittle the dad. And so I made that joke in there that I said, oh, I was Doolittle. And then, and then the other version of me is like, what? And then I say, never mind. And that was a little tip of the hat to the inspiration of um, Nirvana's music from Pixies. So that was a couple, couple layers, guys. That's the kind of stuff I'm bringing you. It's layers. It's like you think I'm doing one thing, but then there's another thing and another thing. No, I'm kidding. Sometimes it's really the service and exactly what it is. But every now and then it has layers. But guys, that was Pixies Doolittle, and it's a great record. I love it so much. I need to get on a, on vinyl. That would be a good one to have on vinyl. I don't think besides the single that I have of um, Here Comes Your Man with UK Surf uh, Wave of Mutilation, that one also has Into the White on it and Anna, I think. I'm drawing a blank. Um, but anyway, I need to pick it up. But thank you guys so much for joining me for yet again another fun episode of Waterproof Records. I had a blast. I hope you did too. And we'll see you next time. Things are going to change. I feel it. It's just going to be that kind of